and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everyone to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. My name's Chris Murray. I am hosting this week's feature show and I'm going to be taking you back in time once again for another one of ESSR's pay-per-view rewatches for this one. I am delighted to be joined once again by my absolute OGs of retro (laughs) wrestling. They are the Godwins to my Sonny. They are the Duke and Domino to my Cherry. They are the Mega Powers to my Elizabeth. It's Gary Kernahan and Scott McLeod. Welcome, both of you. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. Oh, you flatter us, you flatter us. (laughs) I actually, and like the mega powers are we going to explode all over you tonight? <laughs> well, it depends how lucky I get. Uh, I was actually, I was looking up, I was like, who are three female managers who manage tag teams? And <laughs> Cherry mm-hmm. was the second one I found before Elizabeth. Yeah. You could, have, you, could have, you could have went for Sensational Cherry in Harlem Heat, something like that. But no, Cherry, oh. that's the obvious one. Because yeah. I was thinking, did Cherry manage... Um, Zeus and the Macho King at SummerSlam SummerSlam 89 was that? Yep, yep the the pay-per-view that came out a year after the film came out (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant Well it's, it's great to have you all back on once again, would you believe that this week I think is 25 years since In Your House Revenge of the Taker I was but six years old at the time I still had another three years or so before I would actually start watching wrestling and have my mind polluted by it. <laughs> so I'd never seen this show that we're reviewing today until this week. And it was uh, it was just a delight and pleasure to go back and dive into this era. Now, Gary, I know that you are a fan of this era. Did you watch this show at the time? Uh, I didn't be, I uh, I was 14 at the time Chris and in 1990 end of 1995 we got Sky TV put into the house for the first time and then you got Raw was shown on a Friday night on Sky Sports at like 5 p.m and the pay-per-views we got live but only the big pay-per-views, so we didn't get In Your House. So you had to wait to, like, the Friday following the In Your House for when Raw was on, and you would usually get some still shots of what happened, and you would try and piece together what what happened there. So I only got to see this live a while, not live, sorry, see the full show a wee while later when it came out on VHS, and I was able to buy it. I think that this is the right time in this show and on this podcast, just get a quick few digs in at Sky Sports, just because, <laughs> right, for, say for example, seeing the mid noughties by the time I'd started watching wrestling, we had, in fact, this was actually more Sky One, but it's all Rupert, so I'm coming at you, Rupert, but um, <laughs> you would have Smackdown on Saturday morning, yeah, and then bottom line would be after it. Yeah. Now, that makes no sense because chronologically, bottom line is before it. So you'd get what's happened after Raw on SmackDown, and then you'd go back and watch the highlight program of Raw. Who knows we, why they did it that way? It's I mean, almost I, as if they didn't care. Yeah, no. I spent years watching it that way. I didn't watch a full episode of Raw until maybe 2006 because I always just watched bottom line. 
even then the SmackDown when it aired, they'd have a segment sometimes called the Raw Rewound, re- mm-hmm. Rewind or Rebound, whatever it was. And basically, it's easy to say. basically, it would be like what whatever the main event angle was from Raw. So going into bottom line, you already knew the big thing that happened on Raw. You were just finding out what other shit happened. <laughs> Who was your favorite presenter of bottom line? We had a few in our time. Oh, uh, probably Todd Grisham just yeah, for the Todd effort Grisham. he went he put into just saying now it's time for the main event <laughs> I'd maybe like to throw out uh, Jonathan Coachman I think he did a good job <laughs> I think whenever Todd Grisham did an overblowing like, introduction to wherever the main event of Raw was he used all his emotion which is why there was none left for when Christian came back <laughs> yeah it's Christian, it's Christian. <laughs> <laughs> a classic call uh, and my last thought on bottom line before we move on, um, the fabled Katie Vick storyline between Triple H and Kane. I vividly remember watching that on bottom line and they opened the show with like the accusations and then just cut straight to Triple H being like, nah, I made it up. So the, the, that, that was the whole episode of Raw at the time. But on bottom line, it was 10 seconds. I guess maybe it was because it was 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. You probably yeah, didn't want to yeah, dive. Yeah. Mm dive too far into it right okay so we need to go from the highlight era of bottom line in the early 2000s all the way back to 1997 scott i feel like 97 is when things start of sort of started kicking off for the wwf i hadn't quite kicked off properly but what i liked about this era because you know we've been on a lot of shows together from this era me and scott Mm -hmm. we did king of the ring gary i think we also did survivor series from we did indeed before um i liked how you could see the future characters of Mankind and Taker and Austin and the Attitude Era versions of them were coming out as we got to 97. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you look at each of these three shows just as on their own, like in chronological order, you can see on each of them how much Austin develops between each show. And also there's a bloody Taker-Mankind match on every single one of those shows of that feud. Yep. Uh, the feud that would never die. Uh, ironic given it involved a man who was meant to be dead. Uh, so... Yeah, 97 is one of the most unique years uh, I think the RF has ever had because you can't categorise it with the same you know, branding that the new generation had in the years before this, but also they've not quite fully went all in on calling it the Attitude Era either because it does feel like there are points where Vince is kind of hesitant on how far he wants to push things. So yeah. it's, it's one of those in-between years that can't really be defined. I think when you one of the reasons we picked this show to look back at is when you look back at the card, Chris, there are some people on this card that would go on to have a really big part to play in the Attitude Era. And this is, you know, the early personas are nothing like the parts they played during the Attitude Era. So that was uh, that was really intriguing to do. But also, you know, people think that you know, the King of the Ring 1996, and we talked about this at the time, the King of the Ring 1996 victory and subsequent Austin 316 promo was the launch pad for Steve Austin. And from that point onwards, he was he was the megastar. He wasn't quite, it certainly was a launch pad, but arguably the big launch pad for him was WrestleMania 13, where we had the double turn. And this was Austin's first significant outing on pay-per-view as the babyface Texas rattlesnake who we would go on to to love and people would lose their shit for (laughs) all these years later when he returned to the ring at WrestleMania 38. 
<laughs> Do you want to just talk about it? I haven't had the chance to talk about it. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> I didn't really know what was going to happen before it happened. And I was delighted with the way that they spun it, that Kevin Owens was just trying to get him in the ring and then challenge him to a match. Uh, I like the, the kind of idea of the match playing on Austin's mind. I like that it was slow and brawly because that was the best way to make Austin look great. And I especially like the little bonus of night two as well. But what do you do? I mean, Stephen's <laughs> not here. We can do what we like. Scott, what did you think of that? I, I loved Austin. Uh, the comeback, the match. It, it definitely deserved to be the main event of night one because it wouldn't be fair to anybody to have them go on after that. Yeah. And, you know... Kevin Owens getting all arrogant, thinking he can surprise Austin with the match, and he get no holds back because he thinks he's broken down. But forgetting the fact that Austin's specialty in '98, '99 was having a brawl, so he actually played into Austin's hands when you think about it, and just one hell of a stunner sell from from him <laughs> and from Byron Saxton. Not so much from from Vince McMahon, who looked like you know he just forgotten how what her legs worked the minute Austin even tried <laughs> to kick him. Mm-hmm. No, it was absolutely fabulous, wasn't it? You know, one of our one of our colleagues, Ryan Gallica, was in uh, Dallas for Mania Thirty Two. Is that right? When so. Austin made that surprise turnout, and he t- talks about the noise when he appeared. Now we knew he was going to appear at this one, and you know it was fabulous. I can only imagine what it would have been like. Mm-hmm. If you didn't you know, and also as we were talking about in Central, could you imagine if the internet wasn't around and the stories of Cody Rhodes' returns had never been leaked, what mm-hmm. it would have been like? But you know, uh, Austin, st- Austin, uh, round about ninety six, ninety seven, was still in that. Um, you know, he was a tremendous technical wrestler, and you know, after his injuries, he would go on to adopt the brawling style, um, which became staple to him. And that's what we've seen of Austin at Mania 38. And whilst I was excited to see him come out, I was hoping we weren't going to get like a Undertaker Crown Jewel moment where it would, or or uh, Shawn Michaels at Crown Jewel type of thing where it might damage his legacy. But it wasn't even Kevin Owens was the perfect foil for him in that respect. So, yeah, it was absolutely tremendous, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a word that I'm going to use an awful lot tonight, Chris, as no. we start to talk about this show. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Gary mentioned it there. ESSR Central is our sister show to the feature shows where we look back in the, the week in wrestling, I guess it would be. Please go and listen back to our WrestleMania look back show, which we put out a couple of weeks ago. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell are you talking about? What are all these shows you're speaking of? Well, just a quick reminder, ESSR Housekeeping, we're on all good socials. You can get our content on YouTube and Spotify. We also have a really good Facebook group where you can sort of interact with each other and start conversations. Just search for Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet on all of those websites and get yourself involved. Now, riddle me this, gentlemen. Every week, we have always been posting the GOATS question. I like it. I always like to get involved. It's a sort of hot topic of the week. You can chime in. It might be sort of what's your favorite wrestler from this era? What's your favorite thing that happened in this time? Everyone has a different answer to it. But the GOAT, David Campbell, has took his ball and gone home. He has uh, (laughs) taken his talents to Hollywood, if you will. What is going to happen to the GOATS question? Is it going to continue? Who is taking the mantle? I'm still too heartbroken to talk about it, Chris. (laughs) I feel like I've been jilted. You know, there's, there's no shortage of egomaniac with access to that community page that can, can take over that mantle. 
you're absolutely right. And if you want to see those egomaniacs, all you have to do is search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on all the socials. Right, let us step into the time machine. Let's go back to one of the best periods of wrestling. It's 1997. Where are we in the timeline? Well, you can officially pause this show. You can go onto Spotify and all you have to do is search ESSR feature number 223. Now, that'll take you to Survivor Series 1996. That was myself, Gary, as I mentioned, and Alan, who all went and watched the 10th annual Survivor Series. We gave it a review. It was on, it was on that night that Psycho said not only took my heart, but he took the WWF Championship as well, pinning Shawn Michaels. <laughs> And winning the belt, absolutely loved it. Elsewhere on the card, Bret Hart pinned Stone Cold. That was Bret's big return from injury. The Undertaker beat Mankind in a shark cage match. And a guy you might have heard of called The Rock debuted. Uh, Gary never generally, heard of him. <laughs> never heard of him. Never did end with his career. Gary, generally from this era, I think the Survivor Series was one of my favourite shows. I really liked it on the night. I think you maybe gave it a 7 or an 8. Yeah, it was. It was another one of these shows that I was really annoyed about Sky Sports about because <laughs> um, they didn't show it live. They showed it on a taped replay on primetime like a week later. So it was really bloody annoying because I was looking forward to watching it. But yeah, Survivor Series was a sign. The return of Bret the Hitman Hart. I, Bret Hart was my hero. Loved, loved him. Was super excited about his return. And I've always loved the Survivor Series. I always loved, loved the randomness that you used to get of the the four by fours going up against the perfect team and these random selection of people that you might not see together um, suddenly teaming with each other and going up against one another. So I always loved the Survivor Series. And yeah, I think this period is, you know, people will look back at the Attitude Era, but this was the start of it. There were so many, uh, uh, so much good stuff that started to happen in this period as far as I was concerned, Chris. The, the full story they were about to tell you actually probably starts around King of the Ring, as Gary mentioned, with that famous Stone Cold 316 promo. We have done shows all the way through this period, so it's well worth going back and listening. But since Survivor Series, what's happened? Well, Sid, who won the title that night, he carried the title all the way to the Royal Rumble, where he lost it to Shawn Michaels, defending against Bret Hart along the way. Michaels then vacated it just before In Your House 13 Final Four, where Bret Hart then won it in a Four Corners elimination match, then lost it back to Sid the next night on Monday Night Raw. Are you following so far? You're forgetting the, uh, the case that is yet to be solved all these years later, the case of the missing smile. We still don't know what that's going to Still waiting, Sean. So that led us to the main event of WrestleMania 13, where The Undertaker won it back off of Psycho Sid, and that takes us nicely up to tonight. Undertaker defends the title against arguably his biggest opponent of the 90s, Mankind, in tonight's main event. Or is it? Well, let's wait and see. <laughs> Outside the title scene... I think Mark Merrill was Intercontinental Champion back at Survivor Series or Triple H. They, he lost the belt to Triple H around this time. He lost it on Raw, but then lost it to Rocky Maivia on Raw. The plucky young upstart that was The Rock in the making six months in the biz defends his belt later tonight. And let's not forget, we got one of the best Austin Brett matches in history at Survivor Series 96. Their feud carried right through Mania 
and through the title scene as well. We don't have enough time in the day to cover all that malarkey with people costing people the belt so that they could fight each other at Mania. I'm looking at those two, Sid, I think uh, Michaels was in there as well. We got the famous double turn at WrestleMania of Brett turning heel and Austin turning face. That seemed like a good idea in retrospect, turning Stone Cold Steve Austin in the face. And here we are again with the feud reignited uh, in your house. We'll get more on that later. Right, that is us. That is the backstory. Let's dive in. In your house, Revenge of the Taker. Did you notice, gentlemen? On the network, they're officially not called pay-per-views anymore. I actually searched mm-hmm. this up and the search results came up under premium live events. I guess it, it doesn't make total sense to call them pay-per-views when you can't pay per view anymore. Correct, yes, absolutely. This is an interesting show to look after. You know, these in-your-house shows, what we now consider the B shows, I always think is really interesting, really interesting business models, WWF famous for the, the the big four. WCW started running almost monthly shows. WWF followed. WCW did the monthly. WWF followed. And you got these were a cheaper show. They were $20, if I remember right, as opposed to $30. You got a two-hour show rather than a three-hour show. But for the live audience, they got a three-hour show. So for those of you that are maybe going to go back and watch this pay-per-view on, sorry, this premium show on the network, you're going to not get the treats of the dark matches, which included the Sultan versus Flash Funk, Furnace and the Fawn versus the Godwins, and Triple H versus Goldust. Um, you know, the first one, the Sultan and Flash Funk, was the dark match, and then the other two came after the main event as a, for the live audience, but then you know, I think along the way they thought, well, we're we're already hiring the building, we're paying <laughs> all these people to be here. The folk in the attendance are getting all these matches. We may as well just stick them all on TV and charge people the full whack for it <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, a two-hour show with five, a two-hour show with five matches on the card. Do you think Triple H got an idea that he then ran with <laughs> later? <laughs> Yeah, no joke, Scott. First line of my notes, all capitals, one hour, 50 minutes. Absolutely buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And yeah, well, certainly one or two matches that we'll talk about in a bit. It's amazing how some of these matches still manage to feel like they were going on for far too long. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get to that later. And actually just looking at it, uh, Triple H versus Goldust and the dark main event went nearly 21 minutes, but nowhere yes. to be seen on television, probably for a good thing. It just shows you the difference, right? April 97, this pay-per-view is 110 minutes. April 2022, WrestleMania 38, 470 minutes. <laughs> Just shy of five times the length. Okay, so in the intro, Mankind and Paul Bader have teamed up to take on The Undertaker. We knew that back at Survivor Series, of course. Of course, we see that Mick Foley has been cutting about in a straight jacket, and he's also blasted Undertaker in the face with a fireball. Make a note of that. We'll need to talk about that later. Oh, yes. Undertaker in his intro to the pay-per-view promo bleats about vengeance and other buzzwords. I kind of was just like, let's just get on with it. This is the... um, I know some people won't agree with me, but this is the Bray Wyatt promo that I can't get on board with where he just uses lots of nonsense words. And I'm like, I've got nothing to hang my hat on here. Um, I'm actually a little bit worried just on the topic that um, 
Your man Alistair Black in the House of Black is starting to go that way, but hopefully he manages to keep it all together. Because I'm like, sometimes when they get so deep in these riddles, I start to just think, you've lost me. Just talk about who you want to batter. But that's a story for another day. Um, Scott, we have previously spoken about, uh, in fact, Gary, I'm sure we've spoken about this as well because it's came up on both of those shows. Your fandom of the Mankind and Taker feud because we, what I didn't know, because I'm watching all of these matches for the first time. Uh, the first one of any of the matches that they've had together, the first one I ever watched, of course, was the Hell in a Cell match. But that's nowhere near the wrestling acumen that we would get in any of the other matches because it was a Hell in a Cell match. Um, so, so without giving too much away about later in the show, was it difficult to rank these three? Because I think they had King of the Ring, Survivor Series, one of the other in your house, and this one, is that right? Yeah, they had the, the match with Buried Alive, which Taker won, but then he got buried, so then he got could come buried. back with his leather vampire gear or whatever it was he was he was rocking at the Fiverr series. Yeah, yeah. It, it was difficult, yeah, difficult kind of to rank some of the like the three we've seen. If I had to rank all four, the Buried Alive one would be at the bottom because personally yeah. I'm I'm just not a fan of Buried Alive matches. But it is the same that the Hell in the match kind of overshadows you know how important the 96 97 period of this feud was because up until that point, as you said, he was his kind of the toughest opponent. Nobody had to like put the Undertaker as much at a disadvantage as Mankind. I mean, the implications of their match would lead to someone else coming late in the year who would give him a bit of a challenge. But you know, I think we've talked about him on different shows, as you just mentioned. By the way, obviously, it's all started around Taker and getting his revenge on Mankind and Paul Bear, even though it's not the main event. The tagline for the show, by the way, I just made a note of this. It says, new, a new millennium of darkness. Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah, I think I would, re- I think I agree with Scott. I would probably put this match in the middle of the three that you were asking about, Chris. I think King of the Rings top, uh, I would say this one was second, and the Survivor Series match, I would probably put bottom of that little mini league table. And we'll talk about this match in more detail, but I enjoyed watching this one back. Absolutely. Um, so, right, diving into this, we get the first shot of the the arena and my, f- my first immediate thought was like, this looks very small on first look. So it's the Rochester Community War Memorial in Rochester, New York. You got just shy of 11,500 people in attendance. Um, yeah. I think the attendance is disputed, isn't it? As, as often, there may have been 11,500 people there, but I read some reports there's about 6,500 paid. Ah, so that that's interesting because... Um, I know it's straight away, it's got like the very sort of, it's almost like indie wrestling uh, yeah. arena where you can see the kind of adverts for local companies along the back wall. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of kind of 1996 Raw. And I actually looked up the capacity, right? So I was like, how does this compare with Monday Night Raw this week? And uh, it's nowhere near. Monday Night Raw <laughs> sold 5,000 tickets with 1,300 seats empty. So even when it looks pretty bad in 97, they were probably still doing a bit better. But uh, hey, the company's got more money than they uh, more money now than they did back then. So Vince will not care. Um, I mean, could you just say that the Rochester Community War Memorial may be like <laughs> the shittest arena name I've ever heard? It just sounds like the name of your local community centre where an indie group is it's been on a show and not the fucking WWF. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're on the cusp of one of their hottest periods. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So 1997. In fact, I think it was April 20th, 1997 mm-hmm. to be exact. Um, I almost forgot the, well, actually, it ties in nicely to what I was about to talk about. The first sign in the crowd that I saw was a poster from an old looking dude that said, kiss me, Sonny. And I wrote down, <laughs> yes, it absolutely is the 90s. But Scott, since it is the 90s, normally Stephen does this. He bailed on the show. Um, what were the, what was it, the big songs and albums of that year? Or that yeah, time, sorry? We'll talk about the, I'll just give you the number one song in the US and UK and the number one film uh, quickly. Uh, right now, April 20th, we're in the fifth week, fifth of six week run of number one in the US Billboard charts of Can't Nobody Hold Me Down by Puff Daddy featuring Maze, who started his six week run by defeat, by, you know, defeating the Spice Girls who were on a bit of a run at the time. Yeah, but uh, Puff Daddy will then come back for an even longer run at number one in the US Billboard back in the summer with his song uh, I'll Be Missing You which is a much more memorable song. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, they obviously realised that uh, he could carry the belt a bit longer and they gave him it back for a second run. And, he, and, he, and when he came back with his second number one late in the year, he, he unseated Hanson with Mbop, a classic <laughs> banger if ever there was one. God, I did not think I'd be talking about uh, Hanson tonight. <laughs> <laughs> in the UK, I'll quickly dish by this, given the person involved, but in the UK, the number one song right now is uh, I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. And then middle of a three-week run on number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK, the number one film is the re-release of The Empire Strikes Back. This is in the middle of uh, the Star Wars oh. original trilogy being re-released, obviously, to get back in fans' minds before the prequels come out a couple of years later. Uh, I don't. I think they keep must have came out at different periods because it's not num- neither the Star Wars films are number one in the US right now. We're just coming to the end of two weeks at number one for Anaconda, starring Jennifer Lopez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be unseated next week by the Tommy Lee Jones film Volcano. Oh, I loved Volcano as well. When when the old granny jumped, Ruth jumped into the the heating up boiling water and sacrificed herself to pull the dinghy or the boat that was melting to safety. Uh, pulled in the heartstrings. Ninety seven. What a year for disaster films. They don't make them like Volcano and uh, Armageddon and uh, what was the other one? Deep Impact. Big times. Absolutely great films. Yeah. So our opening match was for the WWF Tag Team Championships. As soon as I saw this, and as soon as I heard the first entrance, in fact, both entrances, I was absolutely buzzing because it was the Legion of Doom taking on the British Bulldog and Owen Hart, who are the champions. I didn't actually include them in, in the intro because they have been champions since before Survivor Series, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, we got a really great pyro on the LOD's entrance, something that they probably don't do nowadays, where LOD came out of the tiny in-your-house entrance door and the pyro was like in front of them. So they were walking towards the pyro underneath it. Thought that looked really, really cool. The build here is a confusing one. Um, the Godwins threw slop over LOD while Bulldog and Owen distracted them. Bulldog and Owen then helped the Godwins get the pin over LOD. So I guess it was sort of, screw this, just put them in a match together. I've realized at this point we have Vince, Jerry the King Lawler, and Jim Ross all on commentary, which I think just might be the best three-man commentary team in wrestling history. Uh, I loved, obviously, all of JR and King through the noughties. I thought they worked great together, and I think that the combo of Vince as play-by-play and both JR and King on colour, I think, works really well. What do you guys think? I hated Vince McMahon in commentary. Ah. 
No. When you watch him back now, I just think he was so terrible. What a manoeuvre. One, two, he's got him. <laughs> oh, no, he he sucked Chris Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he sucked Paul's oh, Chris Murray. Oh, <laughs> Chris should be so lucky. <laughs> I just want to talk about, you mentioned this set, by the way. Yeah, this looked so crap. Like, it was just a tiny little house. It didn't even look like a house. It looked like the shed attached to a house. And then just a big black curtain over at the side of it. Like, really, it goes down when you look, especially when you look at the old in your houses with the, the giant house, which even had even a little fucking plastic garden attached to it. So, effort wise, it's really fucking gone down. Yeah. I mean, this, we, we did a show all about Legion of Doom, which is in the back catalogue. But this period, you know, Legion of Doom returned in 1996. I think their booking on that return was questionable at best. And certainly, I think their booking and presentation on this evening was questionable, but they were still super over. I mean, you still got the Road Warrior pop when they they came out. Yeah, JR at this point calls the LOD the greatest tag team in the world. And I thought it was interesting. I was like, 25 years later, you're going to be saying that about the Young Bucks on AEW <laughs> Dynamite. It just shows you the difference in calibre of wrestler. Uh, B&O are coming out. They are carrying so much gold. Right, two tag titles, Bulldog's the European champion, and Owen has two Slammy Awards as well. They're just dripping at this point. Nice from JR. He says, LOD need to get this one over early, and that Owen needs to use his pace to outspeed the LOD. It's almost like um, Bulldog and Owen are the faces in this match, and LOD are the heels in JR's eyes. But that's quite the opposite in the arena. Uh, Owen hits a double axe handle from the top on Hawk, and Hawk mysteriously takes three steps backwards and then falls forwards. I was like, <laughs> good defying of physics there. Uh, mid-match, we see that Stone Cold Steve Austin has angrily arrived. We don't know why he's annoyed yet, but we'll find out a bit more on that later. LOD, uh, JR says, LOD know what it's like to carry the gold around. That's why they're back here, to regain the WWF tag titles. I thought that was interesting because it's not only a reference to their previous stint in the company in 92 when they were tag champs, but it's also kind of a reference to other companies as well, something that they just wouldn't ever really do at any other point. Um, the uh, <laughs> One of the first finishes of this match is Animal does a sort of <laughs> Big pump handle slam off the top rope and boom, one, two, three, the Legion of Doom are your new tag team champions. Straight away, I was like, I haven't seen this finish before. <laughs> Something's not right here. And sure enough, wait a minute, there is a second ref in the ring and he says the animal pinned the wrong man. Of course he did. Fink announces that the match has been restarted, but bizarrely, Owen and Bully say no. It was very daft. It was almost like they were like, no, we don't want to wrestle anymore. Just keep the tag titles. The match is restarted and LOD get the pin again after a sunset flip, but Bulldog has the ref distracted this time. They set up for the Doomsday device and hit it. Animal goes for the pin again, but this time Bret Hart hits the ring. He's really late for his cue, so the ref has to awkwardly stop the pin after the Doomsday device. Shout at Hawk, get out of the ring, get out of the ring, before Bret eventually turns up. And yes, match over, DQ finish. The Legion of Doom think they've won the titles and they're calling for the belts at ringside, but yes, the ref gets the belts and gives them back to Bulldog and Owen. Yeah, it was. It had the makings of a good opening match, but it really went off a cliff towards the end for me. Scott, what did you make of this? 
Uh, I was so excited when I seen this was the match. Uh, you guys uh, listen to this kid's here, but I've got my own heart AW t shirt on right now for the show. Uh, I like to get coming in with the slammies because it reminds me of his speech, you know. Bulldog, you may have two titles, but you don't have two slammies. <laughs> and yeah, they've actually, for the period, they've had a really long run with the tag team tails. They won them in September from the smoking guns, and they've bended off such titans as Furnace and Lafon, Big Diesel and Razor, and their biggest challenge at WrestleMania. Vader and Mankind, that memorable <laughs> tag team. <laughs> but coming into this, yeah, we all the gold and then I'll add to it in the summer when Owen wins the IC title. But I, I like the match, even with the, the first like finish, you know, I think it's I think it's somewhat of a dusty finish, you know, we you describe it with the faces think they won, but then no no change the decision and the the heels don't want to continue the match. I did feel like, for the most part, other than Bulldog getting some like big power moves in when he suplexes Hawk, uh, I felt like for the most part, uh, the, the OLD were just running through the heels. Like Owen especially did a good job of just being thrown around the ring. He gets pulled by the hair by, I think, Animal. And I think Vince says if he keeps if they keep that up, Owen may have a, uh, may have a hairdo very similar to the LOD. Yeah. <laughs> which which Jerry Lawler responds, maybe he can get it to pay like yours, McMahon. Yeah, I think that's right, guys. It was a classic sort of Power match, uh, then the bad guys getting top. Hawk gets beat down. We get the hot tag, but then the screwy finishes, which is going to be a wee bit of a theme of this show as well. Left it a wee bit dissatisfactory as far as I was concerned, and yeah, um, that happened a lot with the the LOD in this this era, and it sort of really pulled it down. I tell you, if uh, if we were doing a draft back in nineteen ninety seven, I want Owen and the Bulldog on my team as well. Uh, they they are everywhere on this show. I previously said uh, David Campbell would have definitely tried to grab draft Gorilla Monsoon because you see him quite a few times <laughs> again tonight. Um, yeah, 10 minutes I think this ran overall and I think Uncle Dave gave it uh, three quarters of a star if I remember right. It didn't you know, it didn't set, it certainly didn't blow my socks off. It didn't set us up for what would, you know, you know what you want from an opening match that comes out all guns blazing. This one just felt a bit like, uh, it's funny is that in the current draft in 2022, Ross has got Vince McMahon on his team because of the Austin Theory stuff. When you think about it, you get more points if he got him in 1997 as a commentator. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so opening match is in the books and we go straight to a promo where Doc Hendricks, a.k.a. Michael Hayes, is interviewing the newly uh, retained tag champs, Owen and Bulldog. Um, Owen says there wasn't any luck involved. We beat them <laughs> just like we beat everyone else in front of us, which is kind of true for this point. Lots of screwy finishes, but throughout all of it, normally Owen and Bulldog keep the tag titles. Owen and Bully are shocked when they find out that Stone Cold Steve Austin has arrived. They just straight up deny it. They say, no, 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 he's not here. I don't know what you're talking about. And then Bulldog rants about what they're going to do to Austin, but you can't hear because he just walks away from the microphone. He's like, yeah. you know what we're going to do, Austin? Here's what we're going to do, Austin. We're going to get him. We're going to do it. We're going we're to do all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, if he was, even if he wasn't in the microphone, I mean, it's the Bulldog. When the Bulldog gets going, he's hard to understand at the best of times. <laughs> we cut from there to our first, like, sleazy porn promo of the night where Sonny <laughs> is talking to Brian Pillman. They're in... The superstar line room, 
something oh, like yes. that. Uh, right, first note, how much is it? 149 <laughs> per minute in the US and 249 per minute in Canada. And Sonny even plugs that if you're up late in the UK, you can call them to find out what the superstars really think. <laughs> Tell you what, see if you're up late in the UK at this time and you want to phone someone. It's not WWF. It's probably <laughs> Babe Station or whatever I call them that was on at that time. Um, right. Get this, right? The UK have the best deal here. It's 50p per minute. Max cost £3. So phone Sunny and keep her on for half an hour. Like, still going to be £3. Oh, the good old days before the exchange rate plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they try and sort of ham up how good it would be to call this line. But sadly... I have no interest in doing it. And this is a waste of an opportunity of seeing Brian Pillman. Do, do you know, was he injured or something at this time? Was he just not being used on this card? I think he, he was. I think like, he was a, sorry, Scott. No, I think it was a case of like, he'd had the ankle injury in like 96 when he, just before he got signed. So they were just trying to find other things for him to do because he would get back into the ring, but they were worried about how, how much he would be able to pull off with the injured ankle because I think they had like pins and everything in his leg. So they just started to find other things for him to do at this time. Yeah, that's right. That leads us nicely into match number two for the Intercontinental Championship. It's the Nation of Domination's Savio Vega taking on Rocky Maivia. Now, uh, we don't get a build on this. In fact, going by what we hear during the match, the build of this match is Farouk versus Ahmed Johnson. We'll get to that shortly. But white boys wrap the nation of domination to the ring. It is so cringe. But the other side of the coin is the nation's theme song is so good. Um, yeah. it's, it's very, very strange. They cut to black kids in the audience doing the black power stance. And I'm like, this is so... Like, you wouldn't do this in 2022, albeit the weird thing about it is they're doing it in 97 and mm -hmm. black power Malcolm X was in the mid sixties, fifties, maybe. Um, it's, it, it's a very weird period of time where it's just not something we do now, but also didn't really feel like it was correct to do it at the time anyway. So the nation here are, I think Savio Vega crush. I think yeah. I saw D'Lo Brown in a suit. Yeah. He was like Mason. a henchman. He was a henchman. Okay. Uh, I saw Clarence Mason in there. I saw another manager plus our two white boy rappers. Um, backstage, Kevin Kelly interviews Rocky and uh, he says he accomplished more in six months than I could ever dreamed of. And I was like, you sound like you're losing tonight. And uh, it was quite ironic. They, they're making him out like he's done after this night. I was like, you're going to have quite a decent career after this, Mr. Rock. Um, Rocky Maivia comes out carrying the IC belt. He doesn't have his poodle hair anymore. Uh, so he looks a little bit better than he did at Survivor Series. And mid-match, Farouk comes to the ring. He was missing on the initial entrance for no real reason. He has his arm in a sling and Vince tells us that he has a separated shoulder. He joins on commentary and I thought he did quite a good job. Uh, Vince explains he's challenging Ahmed Johnson to match. Farouk's promo is actually just more interesting to me than the match. They, they split screen it. So I spent most of it watching mm -hmm. Farouk. Yeah. Um, they talk about Farouk and Ahmed Johnson being told death to his part and that he's coming for his life. Um, and just in the background, there's just a ton of rest holds. It's a real shame. Crowd are just completely dead. Uh, the Rock has Savio pinned for, uh, after a fisherman, but, but D'Lo Brown, the man in the suit, 
has the ref distracted. Savio gets back on it with this amazing, like, spinning ninja kick thing. It wasn't quite a spinning heel kick. It was even better. Highlight of the match for me was that one move. <laughs> uh, Farouk says, if I don't like your color, I don't like your color. And I've got the guts enough to say that. And I was like, this is so wild a conversation <laughs> to be having in 1997. Um, I noticed straight away Rock is still very green. He's doing the kind of indie pandering to the crowd. Anytime he does a move, he turns to the crowd and he's like, come on. It's just the kind of thing you get from the opening match at ICW. Uh, Savio <laughs> Vega doesn't really understand uh, what's happening because Crush gets involved and he hits the heart punch on Rock and that causes the Rock to either get counted out or the match to be disqualified. I wasn't sure. Um, Savio realizes he's lost his chance at the belt and starts to get in Crush's face and is then mysteriously all forgotten about when the Rock is thrown in the ring and gets battered by, by everyone. Thankfully, Ahmed Johnson gets in the ring. He saves Rocky Maivia from the beatdown. He says a lot of very, very strange sentences. I think he calls Savio Vega an illegal immigrant. Yeah, this is an illegal immigrant, this convict, and your black ass. Yeah, he says your black ass to Farouk. Uh -huh. And uh, during all this, Rock is still doing his like create a wrestler stance where you have like primed for a punch by your side pose. It just doesn't look great on him. Thankfully, the Rock will be okay. But Gary, was this match okay? Oh, no. No, it was not Chris Murray. It was uh, eight and a half minutes, or six and a half minutes, sorry, uh, of my life. I'm never going to get back. The the presentation of Rocky Maivia, you can see why it went down so poor. Whilst the, the Nation of Domination had a cracking theme song, you can't say the same for Rocky Maivia. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say. I mean, the, the finish was, was dumb. Most of the action seemed to happen after the final bell when you got the beat down and then Ahmed coming out for the save. I really don't have much to say. I mean, a bit of an odd makeup for the Nation of Domination, isn't it? When you look back on it now to see Crush and Savio Vega as part of, of that group. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't the group that I like remember the most famously later on but again as i said at the top of the show i'm giving them a tiny little bit of a benefit of the doubt here because i feel like 97 was them figuring out what 98 would be but it still just didn't make it that interesting did it scott no not at all yeah like i kept turning out of what was going on in the ring like yourself because of the split screen and what for was talking about basically promoting a match that will happen at the next in your house with like the three, three members of the nation that actually wrestle against Ahmed johnson some sort of gauntlet match. and every time i tuned back into the the actual match, it felt like there was a new wrestle going on. I know I've been watching a lot of '96 stuff, and I'd convinced myself beforehand that I didn't like Savio Vega. And it turns out, no, I don't like. Not that I don't like Savio Vega. I don't like heel Savio Vega because face Savio Vega is actually fairly underrated. This Savio Vega was very boring, just constant wrestle. Like we didn't get the usual Rocky sucks chance ever in this period, probably because people were too bored to even get up the effort to chant anything. To be fair, and like. The fact that Savio just kind of stands there watching the ref count out Rocky and then only after the 10 does he suddenly realise that he's fucked it. <laughs> Between that and the LOD somehow thinking that a count out gives them the belts, I mean, the WWF is just making a lot of people on their roster look like crap. And 
it doesn't really help for its case that the nation's some sort of well-oiled machine that's going to take out Ahmed Johnson if they can't even work together to take out Rocky Maivia. And what's weird is that he said, oh, he's got to face the entire nation. Like, then why don't you put PG-13, the rap group in there, and Clarence Mason and D'Lo Brown? Like, I know they don't wrestle at this point, but it's extra bodies. You want to wear Ahmed down because you look at Ahmed and stamina is not one thing that man has. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Wasn't Didn't they say that the reason Ahmed Johnson didn't get pushed to the moon like they thought it was going to be is just because he had asthma or something like that? Well, I think he was just, he had a lot of like injuries. Like, I think he injured his kidney during a brawl with Farouk. And like Farouk mentions that, like, I took his kidney, he took my shoulder, and then implies the next thing is somebody's going to take somebody's life. Like, we did talk about like till death does part. So to say like this isn't a match; it's a duel to the death. <laughs> yeah, it was a, sadly it was a feud that was just totally snake bit. One of them got injured, and then the other one got injured, and it never really came to an end. And Ahmed, I think, was a bit reckless. You know, he wasn't a, a great in ring worker; injured people, including himself, uh, a lot of the time. And yeah, he looked incredible, though. You know. Uh, the size of the man, you know, and the build of the man, and the, he's finishing with the pearl liver plunge. It looked pretty devastating. I always used... People. Oh, sorry. Was I talking about injuring people? I think there was a case where, like, he had been a bit reckless with Farouk in a match, and so Farouk told the story of that he deliberately, like, stiffed him during a match because basically to teach him a lesson of, like, how he conducted himself in the ring. I think apparently... He was causing some shit with Dilo and Dilo happened for a real once in a match as well. I always remember that in WWF Attitude, I would always go either Ahmed Johnson or Kurgan. I was convinced <laughs> that both of them were the future of wrestling. Sadly, neither was the case. But I think Kurgan did turn up in the second Sherlock Holmes film. Go back and watch it. Oh, there you plays, go. plays one of the bad guys. So I guess it all worked out for him. Anyway... Wait. Sorry, just imagine that my way package fucking Kurgan <laughs> and, and Ahmed Johnson with their turn. Just Book it. one. <laughs> Book no, it in 2022. Uh, we need to see it. Uh, we get a couple more promos. First up, guys, I want a YouTube video. It must exist somewhere. Of every time a wrestler is on WWF on America Online, they have to sit in front of these massive laptops and pretend that they're typing. And this week is the turn of Ken Shamrock. He's next to some computer dweeb who's obviously telling him how to press control alt delete or something like that. And we get told on commentary that Ken Shamrock is going to challenge Mike Tyson tomorrow. I don't think that ever happened, <laughs> but uh, you know what? It's nice, uh, nice name value, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just, just blatantly lying just for the sake. Please watch Raw. <laughs> we get a promo with Doc Hendricks interviewing this time Sable and Mark Meadow now I was happy that Mark Meadow got to be on this show for two reasons one he's injured two uh, no sorry one he's injured and uh, but he's kind of a good talker so it was good to see him just in the card somewhere they could have just been off of it altogether and two report is that Mark Meadow was supposed to face the Undertaker at this pay-per-view but you know a lot of things can be said you know I read that as well, Chris, and I I had no memory of Mark Marrow being anywhere near the title picture. Now, when he was the wild man and he won the Intercontinental Championship in the single elimination tournament they did, that was a big moment, and it looked like he could be one of the next big things. But as you said, he got injured, he dropped the title, so he didn't really see him for a period of time. 
So the idea that he would have ever been challenging for the WWF Championship just wasn't incredible. So I'm not sure where that story came from. Yeah. As well. uh, I can't imagine it would have sold a lot of pay-per-views The Undertaker versus Mark Marrow at that point of time. Yeah, I and think it, they were they had high hopes for him because he was one of the first proper guaranteed money deals. So they're hoping they get some return on that. And I think later on in A, they teased giving him another shot in the main event against Austin. But then Austin saw the angle where they had Sable Powerbomb and like I can't believably have a feud with him and basically nixed that as well. Well, you touched on it a bit there. They probably shot the bed with Mark Meadow when they brought in his wife, who yeah. they very re- quickly realized was going to be a bigger attitude era star than him. They mentioned here that Sable's a two-time Slammy Award winner. Both of them sort of get on the mic and talk for a wee bit, but it's essentially a vehicle for what goes on in the background. We see Stone Cold walk into the men's room, and all of a sudden, there's lots of beating going off in the men's room. Uh, but turns out, <laughs> But turns out it's Owen and Bulldog off camera. They have attacked Stone Cold and left him laying. Now, despite the fact that multiple refs go in the men's room in front of him. Doc is too scared to open the door and catch a shot of the action. So it's all off camera, and we'll get more from what's going on with Stone Cold later on. Commentator speculates if he'll be ready for tonight's big match with Brett. We just need to talk. I have so many questions about this segment. Just the faces of Owen and Bulldog when they come out of the bathroom and realise they're on camera. Like, If you you get inside Bulldog's internal monologue, it'd be like, oh, fuck. Oh, we've been Earl Hebner's family runs out. He just so happened to be in there, so that paints me a picture that he was in the stall trying to have a shit, and then all of a sudden a fight broke out. He had to quickly pull his pants back up. And also, Doc Hendricks, what kind of professional interviewer conducts his interviews with potentially future returning superstars right in front of the men's room? Yeah. What kind of placement is that? You don't really see that on the 10 o'clock news, do you? <laughs> and then some guy walks out with a newspaper under his, you know, whistling with a newspaper under his arm. Um, Owen and the Bulldog did say they were in the men's room celebrating their title victory. So, I mean, like, let's, not, let's not judge. I know, like, even though they are fucking... Each to their own. Yeah, it reminds me of like, their expression they come out is like that famous stuff I think it's Ken Shamrock being interviewed by Sonny and then Animal or Hawk comes out of the, the locker and realises he's coming in the middle of an interview goes oh shit and goes right back in <laughs> I've seen that one it's good so uh, right so that leads us on to the halfway point match number three it's Jesse James versus the Honky Tonk Man so I missed all of the With My Baby Tonight era of Jesse James so this is practically the first time I've heard it. I've heard uh, Jeff Jarrett doing it in ICW and in mm-hmm. recent times WWE, but this is the first time I've heard much of this era. The future Road Dog sounds so different to what he would be like later. But again, there are some mannerisms that are coming out of him. What's the build in this? Well, Jesse James smashed Honky's guitar. So now he's going to get someone to fight him. The music hits and it's Honky himself. The commentators speculate, is he going to be the one to fight Jesse James? Well, no. Honky gets on the mic and he introduces the man that is going to be fighting for him tonight and battering Jesse James is going to be the artist formerly known as Billy Gunn. Today, he is Rockabilly. Now, we have to stop because if ever a man deserved to be paid more than he was getting, (laughs) it was Monty Sop because he... (laughs) <laughs> he could have, I don't know, 
I just think he put a lot of effort into what was essentially something very terrible. He comes out shouting about being the man. He's doing some terrible dances. Honky yes. calls him the roughest, toughest, meanest man in the World Wrestling Federation. I would have believed it. Any other gimmick apart from this one, just uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get on board with Rockabilly. Uh, it's fun. Do you know what? It's fun to see these guys together. Uh, wrestlers who would go on to have so much chemistry together, performing well in a match together, and uh, no real surprises there. They do sadly spend a big chunk of this match time discussing the attack on Austin on commentary. Jesse James does his excellent shake, rattle, and roll punches, which I really enjoy. He's uh, years ahead of his future character, but there's already a little bit of crotch action in what he's doing. Hmm. Um, ironically, Billy throws Jesse out of the ring and it looks like Jesse hurts his hole because he smashes him <laughs> right into the guardrail. Uh, right into the apron, I should say. Uh, there's so much terrible dancing in this match. It's actually making me depressed. But thankfully, <laughs> Jesse pins Billy with a roll-up and it's all over. Oofed. Um this was an ordeal, Scott. I'll be the first to say. Yeah, I mean, the way you described Honky Chunk's promo was putting it too nicely because Billy was meant to say the artist formerly known as Billy Gunn, now he's Rocky Billy, he's my new protege. He went, the artist formerly known and my new protege, he was Billy Gunn, now he's Rocky Billy. He, got, he clearly got, the order of words got confused and they even try and say, like, what the hell are you thinking giving him, giving it to Billy Gunn? Didn't he reject you a few weeks ago and had to kind of come up with a convoluted reason because... And I've only, I've done, only done a tiny bit of research into this, so I can't give as much detail. But the reason they had to go back and give a reason to why Billy Gunn was now the protege despite saying no originally was because they couldn't get who they wanted originally to be the Hong Kong man's protege, which apparently was Disco Inferno, because Disco was having <sighs> disputes. He wanted out of his WCW contract because they made one of them do an angle where he got beat up by Jackal and a Nitro, and he didn't want to do it because you know he doesn't want to get beat up by a woman or whatever. And so he, he pressed the and coming to the WF, but couldn't get out of his contract before the show. So they had to give it to poor, poor Billy Gunn. So I'm, I'm thinking we actually got the better end of the deal because I don't think I've ever wanted to slap a wrestler in the face more than Disco and Fair. No, to be fair. Uh, all I ask for you or from you is give me six months <laughs> and s- just shy of six months' time on an episode of Shotgun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honky will smash his guitar over Rockabilly and oh no, sorry, Rockabilly will smash Honky's guitar over Honky's head. They will redub themselves <laughs> badass Billy Gunn and the road dog Jesse James and just the rest is history. But we've got six long months to go before that happens. Gary, can you drag in out of this? Uh, there was a funny line in commentary uh, where I think the Honky Talk Man join in the commentary. I'm a misremembering that. So somebody on commentary said that Jesse James was impaired by Billy Gunn's spunk. <gasps> so that obviously tickled me. This uh, is a family uh, show. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, up there with Billy Gunn's spunk, it's got to be Billy Gunn's dancing, and that is something that you don't really need to see. Yeah, it's six and a half minutes. It got one and a quarter star by Meltzer, which I think is generous. If, you know, yeah. Wait, one and a half, did you say? One and a quarter, sorry. One and a quarter. Didn't the opening match get three quarters? Yes. That's, come on, Dave. According to my that? notes as well, Savio and The Rock got uh, three quarters of a star. 
Jesus. It's hard to believe. You know, that's one of the reasons I like doing these shows as well. If you had said then that those two <laughs> would go on to be what the New Age Outlaws were in the Attitude Era, you would have thought, no fucking way. <laughs> I couldn't even make any notes for this match because it seemed like one of them would hit a move and then do some sort of strutting or dancing. Like they both mm-hmm. forgot what their gimmicks were and then realized, oh, yeah, this comes with a bit of, you know, taunting. And constantly, and the more they did it, the less noise the crowd made. Yeah. But to be fair, folks, to be fair, this was the first match of the show that had a clean finish to it. So three matches in, we've had a screwy finish for the, and then a DQ to the tag titles. We got a count out for the IC title match. So at least you got a finish. Yeah. I don't even know what Billy Gunn was even trying to attempt to. He was like, Setting up a suplex sort of move, but he was the one walking backwards up to the up to, on the turnbuckle. So I don't know what he was attempting, and so I think he deserved to get rolled up the way he did. So just for taking this gimmick, I was trying to describe what Rockabilly's new dance move was, and I would say it is: put your hands behind your back and point to six p.m. <laughs> it's kind of. A bit of this, I'm doing it on the camera, but get, you guys can't hear at home. But just, just try it at home if you're listening to this show. Put your hands behind your back, put one hand to 6 o'clock and one hand to 12 o'clock. That's what I'd say Rockabilly stances. He was pointing towards his ass, foreshadowing his future gimmick. Yeah, exactly. And also the the how great this gimmick was, pointing at his ass. Um, <laughs> right, a couple more promos before we hit the main event. Uh, Doc Hendricks plugs... The Undertaker door hanging, which you can buy on WWF Shop. Wait a minute. This is the first time that they have mentioned on this show that The Undertaker is WWF champion. That really (laughs) bugged me. I I want Undertaker holding the belt in the intro of the show. But here we are. We are in the second half. And this is the first time they mentioned it. Um, More on the WWF champion when we get to it. Kevin Kelly interviews Stone Cold. Stone Cold said Brett would have to kill him before he wouldn't make tonight's match. Gorilla Monsoon gets involved, and I really like this. He says, they have changed the schedule to give Austin more time to recover from the attack by uh, Bulldog and Owen. So instead, the WWF Championship match is next, and Austin and Brett will go on later that night. And kayfabe, I love that. In real life, I don't really know why they did that. Maybe because they thought fans were a bit done with Taker and Mankind, but then surely they're just as done with Brett and Austin. I guess one feud was quite hot, one feud not as hot. Yeah, I think it... Sorry, Scott. I think it was done, Chris, just as a way of explaining why the championship match wasn't on last, because that was pretty unusual back then for the championship not to be last. Even if you think back to the Royal Rumble in 1996, the championship match went on after the Rumble, which, um, you know, I thought sucked. <laughs> it's a very yeah. strange way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a case that like, they, were, they thought fans were done with this, because if you thought that, why the hell did you spend all the money building and advertising a pay-per-view called Revenge of the Taker, which is centered around the Taker Mankind feud? I know it's the blow-off and everything, but... I think, I think this isn't the first time during Undertaker's reign during '97 that he won't be in the main event, which goes to show that the kind of the build of like the Heart Foundation, this new version that they're building versus like Austin and all these other guys, seems to be a feud that's you know one of those cases like it's bigger than the title. Mm-hmm. Right. So we get one more promo before our next match. Lance Wright 
interviews the Heart Foundation. First note, I don't know who Lance Wright is. I've never seen his face before or since. Yes. Uh, but he is the interviewer of the day. Uh, Bulldog says that Austin started the fight. I really <laughs> like that. He's just like, no, nah, he started it. wasn't me. <laughs> um, Bret Hart, thank God. He's finally on screen. And he just says, the bottom line is, who's crying now? And I was like, Brett, I love you. You're brilliant as a face. You're brilliant as a heel. You're going to save this pay-per-view, surely, later on, right? <laughs> Promise me, Brett. More on him in a minute because it's time for match number four. It is the WWF Championship match between the champion, the Undertaker, and the challenger, Mankind. I've said before, go back and listen to the Survivor Series show. But what I said on that show and the King of the Ring show is that nobody at the time looked like they could go Undertaker more than Mankind could. Could He was just crazy enough that he could beat Undertaker at any time. And he has done in the past. So can he beat him for the WWF title tonight? We got lots of video packages, which don't really seem connected. It's basically lots of wrestlers looking scared. And then eventually we get highlights of Taker and Mankind's matches from King of the Ring and Survivor Series. And then we get the shot of Mankind just taking it a little bit too far and burning off Undertaker's face. Uh, before the match, Mankind speaks to Doc. He says, this will be the greatest night of my life and Taker's screams will be music to my ears. His music is playing while he's doing the interview and he goes straight from the interview to walking out to the arena. I liked it. I liked the kind of the, the flush shots that they did. He's got Paul Bader with him. Bader's carrying the urn. Mankind is carrying what looks like a fire extinguisher. Um, yep. and, and I realized at this point, Mankind's WWF music sounds a lot like the Dungeon of Doom's music from WCW. I went and checked the timelines. And I think they started round about the same time. So I don't think they could have really copied each other. I love Mankind's music at this time, Chris. Yeah, uh, loved it. We had different entrance and exit music, uh, which had never been done before, and I don't think it's been done since. No, nah, you only really yeah. get like uh, music which start a little bit later, like for the Hardys or, or, or Austin, stuff yeah. like that. The music sometimes would start later in their entrance to get the opening bit out of the way, but never two different songs. Um, yeah. I think, I think uh, yes, you should m- mention that Mankind actually emphasizes it'll be music to my ear, like singular, because oh, obviously, as we know, as we know, it's most of one of his ears is gone. Mm-hmm. And they even reference that later on when they do like the, the hangman like spot in the ropes that probably somehow loved to do even after that cost him an ear. Where JR says, I think you may have lost what's left of that ear. That's genius. I didn't pick up on that. I, that because yeah. obviously he's got half an ear. Thank thank you very much. Vader. Um JR speculates on commentary, really like this, that Mankind could be the poster child of the WWF. Because, of course, if you're <laughs> WWF champion, you're the person that goes on the Today Show and speaks to Larry King or whoever it is. Um, and, and how mental would that be if it was Mankind? Um, how odd is it, though, that, as Gary said, the, the WWF champion is making his entrance halfway through a pay-per-view? Uh, it's more akin to the wrestling that we know now, but definitely mm-hmm. not back at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to describe what Undertaker looks like here. He's reached his sort of Star Trek Klingon phase. Uh, <laughs> he's got long black hair, white face, no hat, full-length black jacket to his ankles. Uh, yeah, it just really reminded me of like next generation era Klingons. Um, he throws his jacket in the ring and straight away we're off. Taker starts absolutely battering Foley in the corner. And I'm excited. This is the first big match that we've had on the card. We uh, finally get to see Taker up close as well. And they've done a pretty good job 
of his forehead from the burn from Foley previously. Uh, Taker launches Foley into the front row and the crowd go nuts. He smashes his head into the barricade at, like from like a standing position. It's a really brutal shot. Uh, JR points out that Mankind had quite a good 1996. He's managed two wins over Undertaker, both with the Mandible Claw. Foley hits Taker with the urn and almost gets the three count. Uh, it's really good because Mankind sits down in the ring and starts ripping out his hair after the ref only counts two. The crowd are really trying to get back into it. They're chanting, rest in peace, rest in peace. Uh, the, the brawl ends up back outside. And this time, Mankind hits Undertaker with a glass jug of water. I know it's like TV glass, but it makes, makes a really nasty noise when it hits his head. Uh, the, the crack of the, the glass on his head. Mm-hmm. Foley wraps yeah. a chair. Sorry, Scott. I didn't know if you were going to continue. No, you go. You're the Foley, <laughs> Well, it's just the, 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 the graphic portion of this match. Foley wraps a chair around Taker's head. And I'm really happy that they don't do these shots anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Vince correctly points out, hang on, <laughs> why hasn't there been a disqualification? And I'm like, oh, yeah, there should have been a disqualification for the glass or the chair. But no, I'm guessing the wrestlers forgot that they weren't supposed to do this. Nowadays, you they kind of let these things go, but no, that's maybe a bit too much, especially when glass is involved. Uh, Foley does his big elbow drop from the apron down to the floor, and straight away I was like, that probably hurt you more than it hurt Undertaker. Yeah. Uh, Taker, um, uh, the... When we get another close-up of Taker, some of the the um, the sort of covering of his burn has come off and we see the burn itself. And I thought, yeah, you've done a really good job on that. Mankind mm-hmm. hits his big pulling pile, pile driver that he does, but sadly it's not finished yet. So Taker just kicks out at a bog standard too. I was sad that the crowd went up for that because that's Foley's finisher at some period in his career. But thankfully he gets him up and hits another pile driver only for this time to take her get up after a few seconds. Selling is very much dead in this match, but at least the crowd are getting a bit more up for it. Foley pulls the ref in front of him and Taker clocks the ref and he falls out the ring. This time, Mankind gets on the mandible claw, maybe for the third win, but there's no referee in the ring. Another one comes down to the ring, but Foley slaps the mandible <laughs> claw on him instead. Foley brings in the steps, but Taker hits this mental drop kick and the stairs awkwardly land on Foley's hips. No wonder this man walks with a limp, by the way. Uh, Mankind gets up on the apron to get back in the ring, but Taker smashes him with the steps and sends him head first through the table. Literally, it was like a, I don't know, a Looney Tunes character or something. He was lying in the table with his legs just waving about on top. Uh, Taker finally drags him back in the ring and hits a choke slam, but it's only for a last gasp two count. Taker's not done, though. Gets fully up for the tombstone pile driver. And one, two, three, he is still WWF champion. Ah, right. We've picked up a bit now. What did you think of this match then, Scott? I, I love this match. This is match of the night by a country mile because not only was it fun to watch, I think this in the main event had that classic attitude there, fear of like, we're just going to let them go. It's whatever the referee decides is, is legal or not. They can do what the hell they want. And it had a clean finish to boot. Uh, Mankind, I put my mouth here, he takes a, a table bump like no one else takes a table bump with that. <laughs> he described it as like a literature thing. I des- I describe it as like whenever Winnie the Pooh would get stuck, <laughs> where, he, where he just legs are just dangling <laughs> at the end of it. And there's a nice bit of agility from the from the Undertaker where he's going for an old school. Mankind pulls away, but Taker's still managing to keep his balance on the on the top rope. So he just dives at, <laughs> dives at Mankind with the clothesline. And yeah, I just 
I just laugh like very loudly when the referee comes in. They maybe help declare mankind the WHM by this vision. He's just he's that many like ah fuck it. Ah. <laughs> you can't sit with the mandible claws with him. <laughs> I just this is just like they had the classic like chemistry these two. They were going in the crowd like some of the bumps unprotected with the chair and the steps that that Foley was taking to the head really made you rightly like, cringe knowing what we know now and how much pain that Foley would be in over the years, but. Going into this, they were like two and two in terms of like paper victory. So this was basically how we look at an unofficial best of five was Undertaker officially winning like the deciding one. And even most hardcore or most gullible fans had to know that Taker was going to win because it'd be awkward if this was called Revenge of the Taker and Mankind wanted the champion. <laughs> very true. I have uh, very deliberately not taken you to the post-match yet because we're going to get to the post-match in a second. But Gary, just the match itself... Did you enjoy this? Yeah, I did. I mean, the early action woke the crowd up. I mean, they then immediately went into a period of rest holes before picking up again with some wild shots that, like, uh, and bumps that you've just touched on, Chris. A good near fall finish uh, for the match and then the, the um, definitive tombstone. Uh, just based on our earlier conversation, I had to look up the Meltzer ratings for the Undertaker Mankind series. So Survivor Series was given two and a quarter stars. King of the Ring, three and a quarter stars. Buried Alive and this match, three and three quarter stars. And Hell in the Cell, four and a half stars. For them all, so just... Um, it's interesting, uh, interesting ratings to them all. But yeah, I thought this match was what this show needed at this point. It felt like yeah, this is this is more this is more like it. I thought Mankind was a good opponent to put with the Undertaker for that post WrestleMania moment. What do you do? Because they didn't really have a a next program for them to go into, so they could go back to this unfinished story. Because you remember from the Survivor Series show, part of the idea of the, of the shark cage was after the match was finished, the uh, Undertaker would get some time to beat up Paul Bearer, and that didn't happen because the executioner ran in. So the Undertaker had still never really got his hands on Paul Bearer, never got payback on Paul Bearer for the betrayal at SummerSlam. Yeah, and uh, we got the... <laughs> Very messy payback after the conclusion of the match. It was it was a sad finish to this overall bit because Mankind is obviously supposed to have Taker run at him. Taker flips to Paul Bader and Mankind accidentally fireballs Paul Bader. That's what looked like was supposed to happen. But Foley repeatedly can't get the fireball going. I'm guessing they use like a lighter and some flash yeah. paper, and he just couldn't get the lighter lit. They need the one that I use for like lighting candles in my living room that's got like the clicker as opposed to one mm-hmm. of the ones that's got like the roly flint type bit. They mess it up so much to the point that Undertaker just picks up the flash paper himself, lights the lighter, goes up to Bader's face and just goes, boof, there you go, take that. Um, so instead of it being by accident, it's just him. And then Foley and Paul Bader help each other to the back. I was sad because this was a terrible, messy finish to this. But at least the match wasn't so bad. This mm. should surely take us nicely into the main event, which is going to be an absolute barn burner. Surely, hopefully, we'll find out shortly. Because before then, we've got just another. A sec, just Sorry. a sec. 
candles in your living room, I feel like you need to give us a minute to make fun of you. <laughs> in my defense, the reason those candles are in my living room, because on the, I think it was early March, I had something I'd not had in about 20 years. And I had a power cut. And, right. uh, I wondered where you were going with that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, well, <laughs> well, Gary, I can tell you that night my girlfriend wasn't home, so that's why something happened for the first time in 20 years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I literally had all the candles in the building out. Um, I was just sitting there, didn't know what to do. I was watching things on my laptop, but I could see the power going down and down and down. I, wasn't, I was like, I'm not prepared to read a book by candlelight. Thankfully power came back on after about an hour but honestly let me tell you it's the longest hour of my life i'm sure i probably messaged you even though you live about i don't know 10 miles from me being like gary's your power off and you were like uh nah chris it's 10 miles chris <laughs> it's what I don't a know, it's a, yeah it's maybe like two i don't know where i got 10 from um <laughs> i just but, imagine chris with his light candle going between his room during the power like that another fucking charles dickens novel you're <laughs> welcome to come for a sleepover anytime chris i don't think the power cut actually extended outside my street as well so it was just me i could have just went and sat at the end of the street and hung out with the street lights but no i'm not like an early 90s sorry late 90s era edge uh, mm. okay so we hit our next promo it's for the next in your house it's going to be on May 11th, but that's all they tell us. They don't announce what's going to be happening. They don't announce the, the name. I can't tell you. It would have been In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell, but no spoilers for what that is. Uh, we get a promo from Bret Hart this time. And uh, yeah, do you know what? He's starting to wake me up. He says, I don't know who's more unforgiving, me or American wrestling fans, just getting the digs in there. Bret says he's beat Austin twice before and he's going to teach him a lesson tonight. He says he's going to go through everyone in the Federation until he's the best there is, best there was, and best there ever will be again. This is exactly what they needed from Bret Hart at this time. You've done everything with him as a face. Brilliant. Turn him heel, leader of a faction, and tear him through the whole roster again. They gave him, they gave Roman Reigns the Bret Hart 97 formula, and look how great it worked for Roman Reigns. Match number five time. Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. It wasn't the main event. Now it's the main event. Bret Hart comes out with Owen and Bulldog at his side, but they're sent to the back as they enter. Bret doesn't notice or care. He's so focused on getting in the ring and nailing his entrance. I love that. Stone Cold has his shattered glass entrance. I don't remember hearing it before this point. Did he have it in Mania? Does, do you guys know? I think because he had the, the massive like shower glass with 316 on it, so that might be the first instance of it. I mean, because they literally started it with a literal bit of glass shattering as he walks through it. Yeah, so I think that may be. But, but you know, it's, it's very faint sound. I don't know if it's just an audio issue or that's just how it started because obviously we're used to it now, like, and even a year later, and like when he came back at Mania, just that loud glass shattering to let everybody know Austin's here, like, to get on your feet and go mental. Stone Cold walks out and you can tell he is every bit the WrestleMania main event headliner, whether that be 17 or 38. The fans actually weirdly don't react as much as I would have thought. Like they cut some people sort of politely clapping, but I'm not going <laughs> to take that too much away from this. JR opens with a great line. He says, Brett can out wrestle Austin, 
but doesn't think that Brett can outfight Stone Cold. The difference between using Austin in the first part of the sentence and Stone Cold afterwards, JR, you are an amazing man. Uh, Austin jumps from the apron onto Brett with a big double axe handle and someone in the crowd chants, ECW, ECW. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we see Monsoon is at ringside and tells Austin to get Brett back in the ring. I like it, sticking with the rules. Austin gets in, does the Brett come on taunt that Brett does in his entrance and then gets back out and starts fighting Brett again. Really good. Back in the ring, Brett bumps the referee before grabbing a chair and smashing Austin, Austin with it. I like the storytelling here. He knows he can't outfight him, so why not get a weapon involved? And he starts going after Austin's recently injured knee. I thought that was great too because Brett's finisher is a submission. He wraps Austin's knee for the corner figure four leg lock. And the right. King point, points out that he's done this to Stone Cold previously. He starts smashing his knee repeatedly with a chair. Somehow the ref doesn't notice it. I think maybe still out at this point. And uh, they, 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 cut, they do a little aside here, thanking UK fans for staying up and watching. And uh, the King thanks Diana <laughs> before GR hits out with the most random line of the pay-per-view. Uh, she's no longer a princess, but that's another matter. <laughs> it's just the JR. There's no need. Leave her alone. Uh, she's trying to have a new life at this point in 97. Um, we get a quick cut back to Paul Bader being taken out of the arena. He's screaming in pain from the fireball. I thought it was a good sell, but also don't interrupt your main event. Like do this yeah. on Raw or something like that. Uh, Brett is doing everything he can to work on Austin's knee before Austin hits him with a low blow in the ring too. So somehow again, missed by the ref. I thought that the face, and I'll bring you guys in on this in a second, I thought the face-heel dynamic of this match is so interesting. This match could have been at Survivor Series when uh, Brett was face and Austin was heel, but the roles have completely reversed, but the wrestling acumen stays the same. Uh, JR interestingly speculates at one point that Brett could have gone for the sharpshooter, but he actually goes for the figure four because he wants to toy with Austin. Really good. Vince adds that he might try to get Austin to pass out with the pain. Uh, Brett might get Austin to pass out the pain. And I was like, oh, wait, that's quite a good idea. I've seen that before. Uh, very niche reference, but Ric Flair and WCW, he won the world title from Randy Savage by putting Randy Savage in the figure four. Macho then passed out and he just got him on a pin, even though they're in the figure four at the time. I don't think it's ever happened. I can't remember it ever happened in WWF, but it's a nice idea. Let's just put that in the back burner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's a common thing that happens with moves like the figure four, where you'll see sometimes a guy will lie back, sell in the paint, and then realize he has to sit back up again because if he lies back, his shoulders are on the mat, and the referee will start like counting. Yeah. Uh, to the finish of the match, Austin gets back on top with a big Bret Hart chest run into the corner. He whips him into the corner and you just hear Bret's chest cracking off the corner. Man, it sounds like it hurts so much. I'm just assuming the wrestling is fake. Uh, (laughs) Bret reverses the momentum and is pounding on Austin's leg again. Uh, A really good moment where Bret Bret whips Austin into the corner and he doesn't make it. He actually just collapses as he's running towards the corner. Bret goes for the sharpshooter, but Austin cracks him in the balls with his brace. And he locks on his own sharpshooter. Oh, this match is building up and building up. And oh my God, there's Owen and Bulldog hitting the ring. Thankfully, Austin knocks them off the apron. So no DQ finish just yet. Austin goes for the sharpshooter again. But there's Bulldog, chair shot to the head, DQ finish. And that's the end 
of your pay-per-view. Absolutely disgusting. After the bell, Brett goes to hit Austin with the bell, but he smashes Brett with the chair instead and locks on his own sharpshooter. JR says that both wrestlers are casualties of war. I thought that was a nice touch to end the pay-per-view on as Owen and Bulldog carry out Brett while the refs carry out Austin. Austin's music plays and he celebrates on the corners. But uh, I was just left so unfulfilled. Gary, what do you think? Your main event match, DQ finish. Yeah, I mean, it's setting up for, for more down the line, isn't it? But it was, it was a really enjoyable match with a, with a disappointing finish. And in hindsight, you would have been better to have the championship match as the main event, I think, finish it on the high of the champion defending the, the title rather than this week weaker finish here. It was a classic Bret Hart match with the you know the psychology, with the story carrying the way through it. Um really well done. You can see the different threads of the story coming together. Um, you know, they continue working over the legs of them all and I really liked the um you know, the Stone Cold sort of payback, if you could put it that way, but towards the end of it as well. You know, a really uh, a really good match. Uh, I think we'd look back on this one more fondly. You know, 21 minutes, this was in the ring for an awfully long time. I think we'd look back on it just a little bit more fondly if with a proper finish to it or a more definitive finish, but it was to set up for more to come of these two. So Austin wasn't yet getting his victory back over Brett Absolutely, um, Scott what do you make about this? I was talking about the, the Brett gimmick by the way the heel everywhere else but America weirdly I think it's most likable I've ever found Brett because you know as an mm-hmm. international fan who's been watching years of WWE's yeah America shit you know just getting to see somebody just call them out on their shit really just kind of is refreshing to watch especially back in 97 Uh but watching this match, I never thought I'd be watching Austin and Bret Hart you know, wrestle at, during one of the hottest periods of both men's careers and be so bored. <laughs> like, this is like the forgotten third match in their little series. And I can see why, not just because of the, how bad the finish was, but I think the fact that it's not on as memorable a show as as the other two. And plus the other two shows, I think, had a much hotter crowd. So the crowd are... I've been going through ebbs and flows. I don't think they were as loud as the, the previous two matches that they'd had, so that played, I think, a big factor. And I did like the fact that Brett was targeting the knees so much, you know, even tearing off the knee brace Austin has, even at this point, he has the, the one knee brace on. And I think Austin does use it as a weapon behind the rest back, but the referee does catch a lot of things that should have caused a DQ or should have counted them out at some point. But no, not all, he lets all that go, but as soon as Bulldog gets there, like, nope, DQ, so we're bookending the main event and the opener with really shitty finishes. So that really ended the show really in a damp scrub personally for me. And I think the reason for the post-match thing was because Brett needed minor surgery on his knee. Mm-hmm. They had Austin kind of take him out and this would lead to Brett cutting promos in a wheelchair and it would be that famous clip of uh, Shawn Michaels super kicking him while in a wheelchair. Yeah, so now we're going to attempt to sum up the whole pay-per-view and... Uh, I'm going to go first here because I feel like you're going to drag up the average because this is my honest to go. I wrote this. I I think I maybe think differently now, even just going back over this pay-per-view with you guys, I feel a bit better on it. 
but this is my honest to God immediate reaction. I was just like, I hated this pay-per-view. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it just felt like a kind of 90s Raw. And then I was like, no, 90s Raw has been given this too much credit. It felt like a house show where they sort of give you the impression that a lot of things have happened. But really, if you were to miss this show, watch the Raw before it, watch the Raw after it, nothing has happened. It was just DQ finishes are terrible finishes all the way up and down the card. Um, I, I, I hated the wrestlers thinking they've won the titles because they've won by DQ thing that they did with LOD at the start. I was like, the DQ rule's probably been about for about 100 years at this point. And you're the Legion of Doom, so you've been in a few title matches in your time. Uh, I was like, this is probably akin to the show that we got at Brayhead Arena in 2003. Um, <laughs> I, I just thought zero story advancement. And also, like with the names on the bill, Brett, Austin, Taker, Manny, they, they, they've had solid, brilliant matches in the past, but I just thought this was unremarkable. And I preferred both matches from their uh, previous pay-per-view matches. Uh, and, and also, my biggest gripe with this show, I never thought I would say this, it was too short. And I didn't think there were enough guys on this. As Gary explained at the top, the whole gimmick of these pay-per-views was two hours. But just like Triple H, Shamrock, Brian Pillman, Shawn Michaels, even like the Godwins, Ahmed Johnson. Like these are all guys that were around on the night we didn't get to see on the show. And it, it just, it made me mad. My initial score was two out of five. I woke up this morning and thought, nope, generous. Let's go 1.5 out of five. But I'm going to go back to two out of five and make that my final score. But it's not all about me. It's what you guys think. So Scott, how, how do you sum up this pay-per-view as a whole? Honestly, um, my opinions may not be as, better, as good as yours. Like, I enjoyed doing these look-back shows. I even said to Gary and Stephen, we're watching it to a many, like, this is the least I've been looking forward to a look-back because I just looked up the card for this show and I'm like, there's a reason I don't really remember anyone talking about Revenge of the Taker. <laughs> and then it started off promising with the tag team match because the crowd were hot for that, but the screwy finish, the restart, and then only lead to a DQ really took the wind out of the crowd sales and then they gave them two very boring matches after it. Take care of Mankind is better than anything else that's on this card, but I think it was too little too late by the time those two got out there. Uh, there was a raw feel with all the content split screens. It didn't feel like a pay-per-view in some of these matches in like the middle of the card. And I think it was the worst kind of B pay-per-view. It's a, not just like a B pay-per-view that doesn't have much story progression. It's a B pay-per-view that's leading to another B pay-per-view. Like they're putting more investment in advertising bloody a cold day in hell and matches that will end up happening there than any any progression or making this show anything worth really remembering. So really, it's the definition of a one-match show, maybe a one-and-three-quarters match because there were elements of the, the Bulldog and ONV the LD match that I enjoyed, but the finish just took me out of it and then the blatant screwiness and the finish of the Austin Hart match made what should have been a great match just average at best. So... If anything, I'd maybe give it a two. I'm happy you said that. I was worried you were going to be like, no, nah, it was like a three and a half. Uh, Gary, what's, in fact, Scott, just before we move on, I actually thought of something earlier on in the show, and I thought I'll ask you both this. So in 97, what we were getting was probably good big four or big five shows and then really quite bad in-your-house shows. What do you think you would prefer? Would you prefer... Good big five, bad in your house, or would you prefer what we've got now, which is like an an even level 
of like slightly above average, which is how I'd, I'd sum up like recent WWE. It's very difficult to t- decide what you would mm. rather. I think that I'd rather the good big five and average maybe or shit in your houses because really you don't expect much from the houses, which is why when you get shows like we'll get later this year, like Canadian Stampede, they stand out even more because of how good they are compared to other shows of that ilk, whereas the big five are the things you, you expect to be great. It's the things that the shows they should be building to each like quarter of the year. Because uh, if you have it more like today, then you have like we had last year with a mostly underwhelming SummerSlam, a very shit Survivor Series, and a much planned, other than two matches, Royal Rumble that we got in the last year. I mean, yeah, you get a great mania, but then sometimes like when your big five or big four pay-per-views are crap, it, it feels more underwhelming than when a random in your house show that's not even two hours is a big yeah. crap. I mean, the the, sto- the strategy was that these were tactics to build to the big mm-hmm. shows. So there was, you know, when you look back at the history of these in your house shows, you rarely got in this era, rarely got title changes, you rarely got blow offs to feuds. And I think um, I probably agree with you guys. I, th- I would probably score this as two out of five. When you've got a card that includes a screwy finish and a DQ, a count out to the second match, a third match that nobody gives a shit about, a good match for the title, and then a good main event, but with a lame finish, it's hard to score it as any more than that. But when you look at the, you know, the names in the paper, this show should perform better particularly you know if your idea of booking a small smaller show uh, like this was to save money because you weren't charging as much on it you know, you've got all these guys just knocking about the place you know as you said ken shamrock just sitting there and he's not long de- appeared being involved in the main uh the austin brett match at wrestlemania 13 you know, you, you could have, you know, he would have been much more interesting, exciting to be on the card. Imagine Ken Shamrock's in-ring debut being the show. But it does feel like that, you know, is there a good backlash pay-per-view? I think I think there is. Like, there have been good periods of being this, this elk or, you know, like some backlashes, but this is definitely not one of the things. This is yeah. only the second ever, like, month after WrestleMania pay-per-view because I think the first thing they did one like them only a month after WrestleMania like a pay-per-view was the previous year when they did get that good friends bit of enemies in your house and I've watched that even that's better than this because mm-hmm. you got fucking Diesel v Shawn Michaels and a no holds barred match on that show yeah Diesel on his way out of the door mm-hmm. what would happen what would he go on to do <laughs> uh, never heard of him very good in Magic Mike <laughs> And the Punisher in 2004. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. He was the main bad guy. But yeah, so, well, two's all round from us for uh, In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Well, is, do you know is what? This a, is this, other than maybe December to Dismember, I don't think this is like the lowest scoring we've ever done in a pay-per-view look back, if I can remember right Well, we've, we've not done King of the Ring 95 yet. <laughs> there's still, there's definitely still time. But yes, that is our thoughts on In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Of course, we invite you guys to give us your thoughts as well. If you would like to do so, go and find us on all of the socials. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We're going to put this show out and you can tell us all your thoughts on it after you've watched it as well. We will be back in seven days' time when, Scott, what's that song that everyone sings at the moment about having, what is it? 
adrenaline in your soul? Something, something. something. Cody Rhodes. Rhodes. Uh, we're going to be doing our feature profile on the man himself, hosted by David Hockney. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to be joined by Tom, Callum and John for that one. Uh, Gary, you're going to be back at the end of next month. NXT TakeOver Chicago, Mark 1. Yes. Uh, excited to watch that one? Absolutely, absolutely. I do enjoy the old uh, TakeOver shows and I might make a fool of myself now. I've not watched it back yet. This is uh, the UK Championships seals the show, doesn't it? It's uh, uh, Butch versus Tyler Bate. Yeah, yeah. Good, good match, good match. And uh-huh. uh, Scott, you're going to be back in a few weeks to talk, well, you know what? We're talking about pay-per-views that sort of were a bit disappointing. How's Extreme Rules 2011? Is that any good? Uh, I believe the cage match that main events it is pretty good. There's an under, there's a really great finish to a tables match between Sheamus and Kobe Kingston, if I'm remembering correctly. Don't remember fully putting myself down for that one, but I got it. <laughs> uh, well, so I, yeah. have to, I have to yeah. talk about Jack, <laughs> now. I have to talk about Jack Swagger, Michael Colby. King and JR in a country whipping match. So oh. clearly, I did something wrong in a past life. And thank you for telling me because I'd forgotten I was on that show. So thank you, Chris, for bringing that piece of information back into my life. Why, as wrestling fans, are we always so punished? That is the topic for next week's show. <laughs> when we put uh, when we put Extreme Rules 2011 on on the schedule. The, the thinking at the time was that was a good show and that would be good to look back. When this one was put on the show, it's, you know, 25 years on, all these stars, you know, a little sort of back in time to see that where the, what their origins were. Yeah. No, so we don't mean to punish people. <laughs> that happens. That's just a happy coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> like- I'm just looking at next week's lineup, Dave, Callum, John, and Tom. He's yes, is our own version of a nightmare family right there. <laughs> the oddities. <laughs> Kurgan, future champion. Remember, you heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Oh, guys, the do you know what? History of darkness. <laughs> uh, the the pay-per-view may not have been as good, but the company was. So thank you once again, Gary and Scott, for joining me to watch this back. Thank you, Chris. And we'll see you next week for our look back on the man himself, Cody Rhodes, man of the moment. See you next week. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello, guys. Welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell. And in the show, you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.